This is episode uh, CLVI of the talk show. Oh, we're already up to CLVI. CLVI. Switched to Roman numerals last week. I didn't listen to last week's episode yet, so you, you and M.G. Siegler talked about Roman numerals again, huh? Yeah. That's ponderous. I got on it. I got, <laughs> I got on a, a rant because of the getting rid of the 10 in Mac OS 10. Oh, right. And I, I've hated it all along. I've hated it right from the first version. It's it, I, I don't like it. Anyway, you, I'm not You have, have never liked OS 10 as the name of the operating system. No, I just mm-hmm. think that it was X. X is the coolest letter of the alphabet, and it was a way to put a put the coolest letter of the alphabet in the name. But because it's so cool, half the people pronounced it OS X. Oh, I did it. I did it for years. I, I, uh, I, I think I made uh, John Sirkis a chart one time when I told him how I'd gone into um, uh, the PHP my admin and done a universal search to change all of my OS X as one word to OS space X. <laughs> You don't want to tell a Perl user that's how you fix stuff on the internet. <laughs> you got it from right inside of my seat. Yeah, yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> I felt so bad, though. It's like, how do I obliterate this? Um, but isn't the conventional wisdom, you tell me, you're the, you're the Mac blogger, but isn't the conventional wisdom that they're going to switch to this kind of standardized way for Mac OS, iOS? Yep. I think it it's sensible. It yeah, it seems sensible. very sensible. Yeah. Uh, the only question is whether they're going to capitalize the M in macOS, even though they themselves don't capitalize the I in iOS or the W in watchOS or the T in tvOS. They don't capitalize the T and the V. Right. And so that's one gotta because... Go, they got to go lowercase. Yeah, but the, the counter argument, and there was like a... a, a unusual it seemed like i don't know if you know it just seems like an unusual mistake for apple to make but they had like an environmental like their their uh whatever the day is where you uh celebrate the world's environment what's that called green Uh, day maybe or green day maybe earth day (laughs) earth day yeah what's Mm -hmm. the difference green day on green day they um they had a promotional page up and they said something blah 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 and they they spelled it uh mac os with a capital m closed up I have another friend, my friend Nat, who said that this is going to bug him because he, like us, goes back to the old days of the classic Mac OS where they called the OS Mac OS. But back then, it was capital M-A-C space capital OS. Capital S. Set in Garamond. Yeah. But, you know, like when you'd be writing about it, when you'd see publications that would mention it and spelled it closed up, it was you were spotting an error. Right, right. It's so right, right. the way that we think they're now going to spell it was a late '90s frequent uh, typo, and now it's going to be apparently the real way. I think, but the argument that they might capitalize it without capitalizing the other ones is that Mac is a registered trademark, and watch yes. TV and I, I are, yeah. <laughs> are not. Well, you know, the other the other thing is for think about it for for so long how. You know, Mac was a, you know, that was a name that insiders mostly called it. But, you know, it seems like, you know, it just in the in the popular imagination, Macintosh and Apple for a number of years were synonymous, which is going to drive lots of people crazy. I know, I know there were things before the, the Mac. But Macintosh and Apple, to this day, John Roderick still calls the company Macintosh, I think. Because <laughs> that's, for a long time, those were kind of uh, conflated to be sort of the same thing. So Macintosh means something. Mac means something. But Mac OS, I mean, I don't, that. How much are they even, well, this is a can of worms, but, you know, the Mac is not the central pillar in what they're doing anymore. And that right. reflects its place as part of the ecosystem, I think. Uh, who's the the uh, the other guy on ATP? 
Oh, you're talking about uh, the other guy. You're talking about Casey. Yes. On the, on their show last week, they were talking about their excellent new T-shirt designs. They're the worst. And uh, <laughs> that's a great design. I totally buy it. Well, I don't like the watch one. The watch one. Eh, um, the 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 ATP Apple slash uh, BMW M is brilliant for that show. It's it. I, I mean, it's. I saw that design and I was like, oh my god, how did that not? I I, I think they ought to make that the the logo of the show. I mean, it's. It's amazing because of the whole gimmick where they, the whole reason they even have the ATP show is that they had a car podcast for a while. It's, um, it's a classic logo in that sense of being, of being very attractive just to look at it. Oh, that's kind of cool. Right. That's kind of retro. But if you get the joke, it's, it's kind of perfect. Right. In his explainer, though, Casey described it as a reference to the six color Macintosh logo. Just to say that, you know, that, you know, the way that people conflated Apple with Macintosh. It was not the Macintosh logo. It was, it was the uh, Apple logo. I think. I think John Syracuse pointed out that that <laughs> that, that was an error. Uh, this is, you know, now you're you're getting into this territory where, man, you're going to get into the, you know, the greater nerd syndrome. There's going to be always always going to be somebody that knows slightly more about this and is slightly less interesting in how they describe it. It just keeps <laughs> getting worse and worse and worse. So actually, the colors on the Apple logo to represent the rainbow. Uh, have you ever seen a rainbow? Uh, Thanks, buddy. Super helpful. <laughs> I miss it. I, you know, I, still, I, how long now has it been that, um, what, you know, just gray or for, I guess, black Apple? But I miss it, man. When it used to be when you bought a Mac, you got the, uh, you got Sticker. the stickers. Well, you still get stickers, but now the stickers are just white. But the rainbow stickers are so cool. And they're so, I mean, they're so like, they're so 80s, but they're also so 70s. And they're kind of, I don't know, they're sort of like weirdly timeless and retro. Yeah, I miss it. I miss it. Uh, they still they've they've started slightly bringing it back a little bit in retro situations, didn't they? Uh, I, I I think they brought it back for the the LGBT Pride Parade in San Francisco. Oh, that's cool. Or else they did something that clearly referenced it. Uh, you know, with the connection between the rainbow as a symbol for that community and and Apple. And then I think that they stuck it in a commercial. Um. I, I know they, they they used it at least one because they had a commercial where they showed people's beat up MacBooks with stickers on them. Oh, and they did the super fast, like, yeah, montage. super fast. And and one of them was an old school Apple logo, which was right. it was like whoa, as like a you know a real geek. It was cool to see Apple put up a computer with the six color Apple logo again, even though it was in. Yeah, they didn't like know. Trotsky it. They didn't like disappear right. it. It was still and like, then I, in there. And then I could have sworn there was another commercial. This is why we, I need a live audience. There's, you know, the shows with the live audience, somebody would already have the, the link in there. I think there was one where they ended it. I don't know if it was that one where they went through the Apple 40 years and 40 seconds or what, but they had a spot where they showed it. I do miss it. I do too. It's an interesting time. Very interesting time. It's funny. I was, we were watching the Warriors game the other night and I was like, man, that, that logo is that, those uniforms, ugh, that's the worst. I'm like, Madeline's like, well, she's like, what the hell are you talking about? That's totally like their throwback retro logo. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I kind of liked it once I knew that it was old. I kind of hate their, I kind of hate It's their, really their bad. <laughs> Cause they even use that, what's that goofy font? The, uh, uh, that it's like fake classy. Uh, I have to look. Uh, well, anyway, I, it's it's not a good logo. I kind of like their colors. I like their colors. I do too. I do too. And I like the three pointers. Oh yeah, it's like a, it's kind of like a, is it a copper plate? Maybe a little bit. 
a little bit copper, not quite copper plate, but yeah, it's a copper plate. Yeah, copper plate. That's exactly the font I'm thinking of. That's one of those fonts that I I used to use like when I first started started working in design because I thought, wow, this makes everything look classy. And oh, absolutely. It's like papyrus for men with uh, men's warehouse suits. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it used to be Comic Sans, and now it's papyrus. It's just, oh, <laughs> uh, God. Or, you know, Philip Mistral. Mistral's fun. Like, you know, Mistral's fun if you're like Guy Fieri at a beach bar. I'll roll with Mistral. You know, that's fun. You know what I mean? The surfy font. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly. But like, but you know, uh, you know, even copper plate, fine. You know, pick a weight, have some fun with it. But like, it's papyrus, man. Papyrus (laughs) is the new Comic Sans. If if it's like a sign in your spa or it's your menu of the day, it's like, it's always papyrus. So with the Warriors, what do you, you, how amazing is it that that photo of Eddie Q with Stephen, Stephon Curry that was on It was delightful. So perfect. I, I thought it was a wonderful image. I would have worn some nicer shoes, but I think he's wearing flip-flops. It's it's one of those images, though, where it's like, uh, uh, I mean, I'm not, uh, I, I haven't been into basketball for a while. I used to be really into basketball, but I like the sport. And I happen to find the style that Golden State plays to be delightful. It's a team that really has fun playing basketball. And I used to play basketball. I found the reason I liked playing Mm it is that I found that it was a very fun game to play, especially if it goes right. If you're moving the ball around and everybody's getting the ball and and uh, your fast breaks and it's lots of scoring and it's not just, you know, two seven foot guys slowly but surely backing their way to the basket. It, it can be a beautiful game and that's how Golden State plays. And it, it's like watching a video game sometimes with these guys where they're shooting from 10 feet past the three-point line and and just hit nothing but net. Lots of fun to watch. So I'm re- I've really been into the playoffs this year. And of course I know who Eddie Q is. I've had him on my <laughs> show even. Right. And then here's the photo of the game of one of the most amazing games in recent NBA history. And it's, it's iconic. <laughs> what will right. probably become an iconic photo. <laughs> Yeah, it really will. <laughs> and he's wearing flip-flops. <laughs> he's dressed better there than he is at a lot of presentations. <laughs> it's cool if I crash here for a couple weeks. That's all right, Eddie, but you know, you got to leave at some point. Here's my, you know, take, my, is- ta- <laughs> my take on the flip-flops. is first and foremost that I understand that it's a California thing, and I'm, not, I'm an East Coast person. We don't really, you know, grown men don't really wear flip-flops out, even if it's just to a basketball game. But I understand that California is a little a little more casual. Mm. Um, my take on it, though, is having been to a lot of events, sporting events, rock concerts, etc., at, at an arena-type atmosphere, <laughs> that the floor situation isn't all that great. Now, I realize he had courtside seats, and maybe they, they, they make an effort to keep the spilled beer and, and soda uh, to a minimum down there at the, the courtside. But that's my first thought is is that you kind of want some some waterproof footwear when you go to an arena. Oh God, where do you begin? Uh, well, first of all, I mean, it, well, I realized that was wasn't that was that in Oklahoma? Yeah, no, no, so, it was that, it was across the river. It was over there. Okay, in so okay, but I mean, you know, the Bay Area is not California. It's it's a it's a different thing, and and it's not a question of you know. I mean, it's one thing to like you know live in Pasadena or something like. Hey, look at me! I don't have toes on my shoes. Ugh. But like here, like man, if you're walking around San Francisco, dude, you do not want to be wearing flip flops. It's there's just so many. When I when my daughter's getting when we're getting ready to go downtown with my daughter, like I want to put her in a Tyvek suit. Like no, I mean she's got to she's got to wear socks and shoes, and like, you know I want her to put on some like you know medical booties. It's like, <sighs> it's not good. 
They're moving the, uh, I think they're, they're talking about moving the arena right near where my wife works, which is very near AT&T Park. Near where yes. The play. Yes. And like kind of across the street from a children's emergency hospital. So it <laughs> should be real interesting to try and get your kid in during a big game. I, I don't watch sports. I'm not into sports. Um, I've been enjoying watching you on Slack talking about this. You told a fantastic, <clears throat> fantastic anecdote you probably won't share here, but you had an amazing anecdote about your basketball career that I, I love you to share sometime. I would share. I'll share the story. <laughs> all I'm gonna say I is share this. The story. Uh, okay, I'd love to hear that. All I want. All I want to share is this. Like, if you're gonna be somebody who watches three sports games a year, boy, that was a great one to watch. Yeah, because yeah. it reminds me a little bit of like how I, uh, you know, there was a time when I enjoyed watching tennis. I'm not like a tennis fan, but it used to be, you know, in the '80s, you could really enjoy that combination of like ace serves plus a lot of just insane volleying. And it feels like that got to, we might've talked about this before, but it feels like tennis eventually just become all about the aces and all about like the hitting super, super hard. And the beauty of watching those two teams and the way that they complemented the way that the other played is, yeah, you're going to get those two guys, Steph Curry and the guy who looks like Steph Curry. They're going to be dropping a lot of three pointers and that's amazing. But then it could also be Steph Curry, like just, he, it's almost like he's moving through a party. And he's just going, yeah. excuse me, excuse me. Like, you're like, you're like, he's like, you know, I just need to get by here for a minute. Boom, layup. And you're like, how, how did he do that? How did he move past all of those people? It's fast paced. They got the he, long game thrown from, from three points. They're going up for the layups. The teamwork is fantastic on both teams. And you just, you just see these two teams that are so well matched and are both operating at the height of their performance. And it's a complete delight to watch. He, he moves through the defense while dribbling the basketball in a way that I don't think most athletic people could get through the same defense without the basketball. Just run, just slip through these guys, just get through them. If you show, if you, if you show somebody that pattern, like with like Fred Astaire feet on the floor dance moves and said to somebody, go repeat what he just did five times, there's no way somebody could do it. It really, I think it really, and it's, it, it's always more impressive in slow motion. It really looks like some kind of visual effects shot that, you know, Todd Vaziri put together, you know, like <laughs> right. here, Steph, just run through this crowd and then I'll, I'll, you know, we'll make sure we'll put the basketball in afterwards. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do it in post. It's composited. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, you just see one of those guys, what's, what's the other guy's name? I forget his name. The other, um, Clay Thompson. Thompson. Yeah. That, that montage you put up was great. His 11 three pointers. But, but the crazy part is, you know, I'm used to watching basketball in the Larry Bird era. And when you see these guys moving so fast, passing so fast, and you see somebody feet, beyond the three-point line. They've had the ball for about a quarter of a second. They take a shot. And my immediate thought is, oh, that's a shame, throwing away that shot. That's a shame <laughs> they did that. And you go, swish, doesn't even touch the rim. Like, what has become, what is this game? I don't even recognize this game anymore. It's so much more fun to watch. I think that what's happened is that it's taken until now for, even though the three-pointer, the three-pointer went into the NBA, I think, in 1981 okay. or so. And it came to college in like the later eighties and then in high school around the same time too. So I, when I played high school basketball, we had the three point shot, but it was new. Like the paint on the court in the high school gym was different color than the rest of the court because it would, they had to pay a guy to come in and add it. Um, and coaches are in all sports tend to be conservative. They are, you know, they, they, they don't want to rock the boat. And so it was always treated as a novelty and you don't want to, you know, they always, coaches would always tell me, you know, you don't want to win and win or lose or die by the three you, or live or die by the three. You when know, it was young, wanted. it must have seemed like a risky trick. Yeah. And if you miss two or three in a row, coaches would be like, that's it. You know, 
you know, stop shooting it because you're, you know, you don't, you're, you're cold tonight. Um, whereas like Clay Thompson the other night missed six or seven, his first six or seven three pointers and just kept firing them up there. And eventually they go in because it's actually, that's actually the way statistics work, right? Did you, so, did you, were you the one who posted that image that was the basically the second half in shots? Did you see that graphic? And it was like t- shots taken, shots missed. And oh, the, no, that was our, our mutual friend Ben Thompson posted okay. that. I think it's incredible. Yeah. And just where they took their shots and just two different styles of play where Oklahoma city is not really a, actually a relatively poor three point shooting team overall. <laughs> and, and the, the golden state shot chart, like just little dots on the court of where they took shots. It looked like this is, this looks like the, the time in practice when we practice our three pointers. <laughs> right. 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 With, with nobody, with nobody's arms, you know, waving around. Uh, so I think what happened is that it took, until now to get coaches who grew up in the three-point era to really embrace it as a it's okay to shoot it and and just you know to for your edification steve kerr the coach of uh golden state was a wonderful three-point shooter he played college ball at uh, arizona i think he graduated this is i used to be a sports fanatic I, I can even tell you when he graduated i think he graduated in 1988 and then he had a very nice pro career including playing with uh, the michael jordan bulls later in in the late nineties. And he was more or less the guy who like when Michael Jordan would get double teamed or even triple teamed, Steve Kerr was the guy who's, whose man probably left him to go double team Jordan and Jordan would just flip him the ball and he would knock down three pointers. So I think having a coach who grew up in the three point era really makes the difference in terms of embracing it. I think I saw a stat the other day that, and now Larry Bird in the eighties was, I think without question, the best three point shooter in the NBA. Um, but even Larry Bird is on a record of saying he doesn't even like the rule. He kind of he he he's always thought it was a gimmick, and that you know he'd shoot it because he can shoot from that far. But he always thought two points is good enough for anybody. Hmm. Or or I guess the mantra that a lot of the old timers had was that a, a t- you shouldn't be able to lose with a two point lead, and you know that the worst you do is go to overtime, and a three point lead should be a sure thing. That if you have a three point lead with with seconds to go, you could just walk off the court because that's it. You're you that's good enough to win. And it just when you changes see the game. Uh, when you see rule changes in sports, I'm, I'm, this is actually this is a question, not a statement. When you see rule changes in sports, just as a way outside observer, it seems like they're often in the interest of making it more interesting, or speeding things up, or closing some kind of a loophole that makes the game less competitive and interesting given certain conditions. Is that, is yeah. that kind of a, a fair statement? Yeah. Like with baseball no, I think so. and football, it seems like that's really the case. Yeah. And the three point line is definitely that sort of idea that it was, uh, it was an answer to what was seen as an epidemic that the game was being taken over by seven footers who just, you know, just toss the ball into them down, down low and mm-hmm. watch them, you know, bang away. Boy, that, 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 little- uh, that, that Cal, Cal, Cal Drogo guy, uh, playing for uh, Oklahoma is pretty amazing, though. That that shot, that shot that that guy made, like he's just jumping toward the net. He seems like he's about three feet off being able to dunk it, and he somehow just gets it in. Just a, <laughs> amazing to watch. It's good stuff. All right, let me take a break and thank our um, our first sponsor, and it's a new sponsor for the show. Um, good friends at Meh dot com. These guys run a daily daily deal site. You go to meh.com and every day they have a new thing that's for sale. And sometimes they sell out because they only have a limited number of them. Sometimes they don't. Uh, and they're the same guys who years ago had a site called Woot. 
you could tell they even sort of named their stuff the same way, except they were more excited back then. They were excited in the early days and they named it Woot. And now they've, they've been beaten down by the man and they just call it meh. Because what happened is they sold <laughs> Woot to Amazon. It did not go well. Uh, and eventually, like, it got to the point where, where under Amazon, <laughs> Woot was selling multiple items a day. And the Woot guys were like, you know, we're, we're a daily deal site. The whole gimmick is we sell one thing a day. And Amazon was like, well, we're Amazon. <laughs> we sell everything. And so they left and they started their site up again and they just called it meh. And it's great. It is. It's not just about the daily deals, though. The thing is, is they put it's you got to read the descriptions they write for it. They're real writers and they put funny videos up. It's really like the daily deal thing is just an excuse for them to create the sort of content that they want to create. Uh, that's really what, what they want is they want people coming to check out their site every day just to see what they've posted, what they've written, the funny videos they've put together. And then if you happen to like the, the, the deal of the day, you can buy it. And if you don't, you can just give it a, they even have a button. You just sign up and, uh, you have an account and you give it a meh and then they know that you, you, you weren't interested. So it's really great stuff. Very fun. Very interesting. These guys are super clever. Um, so go check them out at meh.com. I got a killer deal today. What's their deal today? This will be uh, too late. Nobody's going to be able to get it because no, it's, by the time John, it's, sh- it's meta too late because it's <laughs> first of all, as we record this, it is sold out. Um, but also, it's a deal a day, you know. But again, just going in and reading for the writing is so fun. They got the food saver vacuum sealing system, albeit refurbished. Uh, I paid eighty bucks for this in uh, a couple months ago because I do lots of sous vide cooking at home. You get this back in 22 bucks out the door. It's crazy. Here's their description. You shouldn't use this to seal marijuana that you legally buy in Washington, Oregon, Alaska, or Colorado. So it's easier to conceal when traveling to or through other states. No Mm-mm. matter how ridiculous no matter how ridiculous you think it is for possession of a plant to be legal in one state, but illegal in others, no matter how obvious it is that marijuana prohibition is on its last legs worldwide, that would be wrong. So that's the type of stuff you can get from them. All right, you want it's me to tell monster. my basketball story? I would. I, I, I'm not embarrassed to tell this story. I'm, I, I, so when I, when I was in high school, I played recreational basketball. I was, I was pretty good. My senior year, I scored 14 points a game, and we had a pretty good team. Uh, and I could shoot. I, you know, my, my thing, I didn't like to mix it up. I didn't like what to was your, What was your position? You forward? Uh, sort of like a small forward or maybe a tall shooting guard. It's, okay. you know, but I, I, know, I was good at, good at, you know, passing on a fast break. I, I scored lots of layups on fast breaks and I was good at shooting a three. Um, although I think the most I ever made in a game was f- five or six. Um, uh, it made me mad because I played in a Christmas tournament one time uh, and they had, had a thing in the, 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 it, like a school hosted, like a little, you know, round Robin two team or four team christmas tournament and they had a little program and they had like our our christmas tournament uh records and one of them was for three pointers for for like across the whole tournament and i broke it and then the next year they didn't put that record in because it was on they only printed it because it was one of their home team players who had it It made me mad anyway there was a team in our county that we'd play a couple times a year and there was a kid on the team who uh i'm guessing was born this way but you know could have been an accident but he only had one hand um and I think it was his left hand. Um, and he was about my size. And he was really, he was actually pretty good at basketball. And so because he was about my size, uh, I often guarded him. 
And I remember early on, maybe like 10th grade, maybe 11th grade, we were playing a summer league game and I was guarding him and he was posting me up. In other words, he's backing me down on the paint. And so my chest is to his back. And it, all of a sudden I felt on the, the, the nubbin at where at, he had like a, all, just was sort of missing the hand and his, his wrist ended with like a little nubbin thing. And all of a sudden I felt the nubbin in my hand and I instinctively was just a little bit honestly i was a little grossed out and i took a step back and his teammate passed him the ball and he turned around and made a layup because i wasn't right on his back anymore and i thought oh man and then uh, like next possession or two you know five two minutes later the same thing happens except he's like sticking it in my stomach and i thought son of a bitch this guy's doing it on purpose and i was like i am not gonna i'm not falling for this and i had told nothing but i was like that that is I had nothing but respect for him, but I figured it out and I played him for years afterwards and he did it all the time. And I would, I would tell my teammates, Hey, either let me guard him. Or if you're going to guard him, know that he's, he's going to do this. And I would watch and he'd do it all the time. And I have, I thought it was so genius. It was like a way of like, you know, Hey, this, I have nothing but respect for the guy because he was actually a good shooter. He could, you know, shoot the three pointer and everything with one hand. But, but you, I, like you wouldn't think so. Like anybody who said you, know, you wouldn't look at another person and criticize them because oh that guy's no fair. He's got long legs, or that guy's right. got big hands, or that guy's got long arms or a good eye. He's just he's using what he's got effectively. Yeah, and it's it's you know I'm not you know I have nothing but no complaint about it. But it, I thought it was genius. I thought it was a way of embracing uh, you know taking a limitation and embracing it, making the most of it. And I'll tell you, it worked. It absolutely, mm -hmm. the first time on me, it worked like a charm. And I remember when other people on my team were guarding him, seeing it work and saying, I told you he was going to do that. <laughs> Sports. Yeah. Uh, so we were going to talk about, uh, I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about up front, but we could talk about, I want to talk about this AI stuff. Yeah, me too. And I know it's driving people nuts. Uh, <laughs> it's driving people nuts to call this AI. And I, I don't know why. I don't see how anybody could deny that. You know, I, I know there's, you know, some kind of formal computer science PhD level definition of artificial intelligence in that in some ways this doesn't apply. But if if you took an Amazon Echo back or, or, or took someone, I guess you can't take it back because it wouldn't have the internet, but took someone from 1978 to today and showed them an Amazon Echo and say, is this artificial intelligence? Yes or no? They're going to say yes. Right. Right. It It's almost like every time we solve an AI problem, once we solve it, it, it no longer become is magical and therefore it no longer counts as AI. Well, AI yeah, like, is like only. Just, just because you understand how the effect was pulled off doesn't make it a magic trick. I mean, it's, it's still, it's still a magic trick, even if you understand the effect. And to bring somebody from 1978, and I yell at my my dingus and say, "Hey, when's the next Bart train co coming?" That's that's magic. That feels like AI, even if that's not what a computer scientist would call it. Right. Even if like once you know how the trick is done, you're like, "Well, it just hooks up to the uh, the the local API for your public." <laughs> it hooks up to the magic network in the sky <laughs> that connects all computers. Oh, by the way, did we mention there's a magic network in the sky that connects all computers now? Oh, by the way, did we mention everyone has computers in their pocket now? Right. And, well, the, the device knows the weather because it's got a GPS and, uh, you know, it knows your zip code. Oh, by the way, just... we can predict weather now. We didn't used to be able to do that. Right. Oh, by the way, your pocket device computer, is... makes a, your, your computer makes a beepy noise when it's about to rain in the next two minutes. 
devices know where they are <laughs> to within a house or two. <laughs> you know. oh, There's a kind s- of cuisine that isn't even popular yet that you can request in your neighborhood on your pocket computer. <laughs> right. Look, you're, <laughs> look, look how this is an AI. Your phone thinks it's next door. Oh, that's so stupid. Oh God! Just because you say to your, you, just because you say to your your pocket computer, tell my wife I'll be running late, and it knows how to send it to her. Well, of course, it's a trick. It's a, there's a there's a little wizard inside of there. Do you? Uh, I, you know, I, I try to. The thing is, you saw in my in my long discursive notes about this that I guess I feel like part of it is I'm I'm trying to do two things. One is I'm, I'm trying to avoid using what I know to be terms of art. So, I mean, people talk about AI, they talk about machine learning, and even getting as specific as saying just, you know, Siri or Echo or, or what have you. It's just, I'm more interested in what the stuff is doing for a consumer. And I mean, that requires a little bit of extrapolating about what's happening technically behind it. But I don't think, so, I don't think it makes it any less fascinating what's happening when we don't call it a sciencey name. I completely agree. So I, I'm just brushing all of this under the umbrella of AI. Because I don't know what else to say. It's you know I think separating it into voice assistants versus AI is not not helpful. Well, it doesn't get to all of the constituent parts that you know. So if we say Siri, you know, to paraphrase Raymond Carver, you know, what, what we talk about when we talk about Siri, what, which part of Siri do you mean? Are you talking about dictation? Are you talking about you know uh, being able to interact with? Are you talking about the button on your phone? Like that means lots of different things. And I feel like to understand where this stuff is going. It's very helpful. It's it's not helpful to fixate on what we call it. It's helpful to focus on what it does and what are the potential, as far as we can tell, in the in this you know short to medium term. What are the things that are likely to help or hinder the growth of all of these various pieces that we lose in the lights every time we call it AI? That's that's my feeling. Yeah. You know, if we just keep calling it AI, we keep calling it. Say, well, what does that mean? Is the kind of thing you do when you're talking to your phone in your car, the same thing as what's happening when IFTT turns your humidifier off. Like those are such different things. And yet they are completely related because they are parts of this ecosystem down to the, like I said, down to the ability to pick which florist you want to use when you talk into your pocket computer. Those are all part of the same system. And I feel like it gets really confused when people try to just keep throwing it, throwing it under the bus by by calling it all this same like fruity future world stuff that nobody's ever going to want. Quick aside. I've been struggling. I think a lot of podcasters struggle. I know I have talking about this stuff because there's this yep. phrase you can say <laughs> to address Siri uh, that you don't want to say on a podcast because it can trigger it on listeners' phones and devices if they're not listening with headphones. And a reader suggested I, – I wrote this down, and unfortunately, I did not write down his name, and I'm sorry. I'd love to give you credit. Whoever you are, I thank you. He, his solution is that while we're talking about it on a podcast, we can say, hey, comma, Siri. How about – can I suggest that's, – that's very good. Can I suggest another one that okay. might be even better? How about Yo Dingus? <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> that's not going to trigger nothing. Not right now. <laughs> Although it might if you and I start a startup with one of these things. <laughs> Easy. Because <laughs> I think we would definitely call ours the dingus. <laughs> Yo dingus. Good. I can't have dead weight in my incubator. <laughs> Yo dingus. The <laughs> dingus. All right. I like that too. So I'm going to put that out there. Hey, comma Siri, if you want to talk about Siri in particular, and then we'll say Yo dingus to address these things in general. Uh, I do think it's. I, I think the terminology is interesting, though, because Siri is an umbrella term for stuff that 
is not really AI. Like you said, it's we even we even call it Siri when you're just talking about voice dictation, where you just hit the little microphone to to dictate a text that you want typed out. You're not even asking a query or anything like that. Whereas Google um, doesn't really, it, it, it seems like until very recently, they didn't even have a name for their thing. I used to call it Google Now, but then I found out Google Now isn't really the AI thing. Google Now is like their uh, contextual thing where they show you cards based on what they think you want to see at the moment. Uh, uh, and now they call it Google Assistant, I guess, for the driving. But it benefits know, their brand to just to not overly disambiguate that by just getting you used to the idea that Google is this big bunch of functionality that helps you with your life. So, you know, they might have brand names for things, but I would think when you hail it, it's unlike the other ones, it does make sense that you would say, yo, Google. Yeah. I think that from a, just a typical user standpoint, it doesn't matter because it, it, it all, and, and maybe it's less confusing for them to just think of Google as a thing that they can talk to instead of just type at. You just, just, just give it to us. Just tell us what you want and we'll just, which it it's 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 shockingly fast at. I mean, <clears throat> so right there, one of the distinctions you're making there, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago on Back to Work, is you know, there are a lot of folks who understandably gave up on everything Siri a long time ago, which I have mm -hmm. to say is somewhat understandable given the basic way most of us deal with this stuff, which is we try it, it works or it doesn't work. We try it again, it works or it doesn't work. And eventually in a fit of peak, you go, mm, this is not for me, this is for nerds. And that was, it was true with Siri for a long time, but then Siri got better. Then Siri got way better, but one way in which it's been good for a long time. So when I'm trying to sell people on this idea that not only, well, the unimportant part is Siri is better than you think. The important part is, hey, get used to it. Like start using this because this is where stuff is going, pal. And so what I would say to people is if you're frustrated with Siri, you know, not understanding your requests, if you're not, if you're not comfortable with the Siri service, getting your voice and functionally working, which can vary a lot depending on your connection and stuff like that. One test, I just said three times in the next week, try using dictation where you would normally type. Don't talk too fast. Don't talk too slow. Don't talk too loud. Don't talk too quiet. Just talk to it. And I think a lot of folks might be a little bit reinterested in it, given that for long sentence to short paragraph length things, if you know what it is that you want to say, I can pretty much guarantee, even including time for corrections, it will be faster than typing. We're talking about dictation here as against tell me the weather in Bangkok. Yeah, I uh, remember a couple of years ago when I had the, the finger injury and I couldn't, couldn't type with my left hand for a couple of weeks and I had to use dictation and... I ended up getting a lot of work done by installing the Dragon naturally speaking thing on the Mac, yeah. but I didn't have anything like that for iPhone. And so I really like, uh, you know, I'm lucky because my, my finger made a full recovery now. So, I mean, but there's, and there's people like, like my aforementioned uh, opponent in basketball, who's, you know, hand is not going to come back. Right. So anything that would help, I mean, there's gen people with genuine permanent accessibility needs that dictation can really really be helpful um and it really wasn't there i think that was like 2012 or wow, so wow it's been that long uh, uh and it you know it was better than nothing but it was better than not having the feature in ios but boy i wish it was as good as it is now because i find you know like having just come off the winter where it really you know when you're all bundled up and you can't really type while you're walking around a cold city the dictation feature i think it works 
amazingly well compared to where it was. It still has much room for improvement, but yeah, I, I agree. And I, I mean, I, I've played with. Um, I mean, is it Nuance? Is that the company that makes yeah. Dragon Dictate? I mean, <clears throat> they for a long time have been. Their engine has been way ahead of everybody else's, as far as I know. But I mean, you know, I think well, except maybe Google's, right? I, but the and thing I, is, like, getting it working, the David Sparkses of the world can work Dragon Dictate like Emacs where right. they understand it and it understands them. I found it super frustrating to train and retrain and I never got invested enough in it to like really use it. Whereas, as you say, I mean, it's something Syracuse often talks about, just start, make a habit sometimes of going to the Google app, hitting the microphone and talking. And it is shocking how fast you can see the transcription happening as you're speaking, the corrections. Now, the way Siri finally does now, you can watch it making contextual create, uh corrections. You see this now on Apple TV, where it understands you probably mean the name of an actor rather than a homonym. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. can see that that has come so far, even in the last two years. Yeah, really. Yeah. And uh, Apple TV, the, the, the correction, the contextual corrections, as you said, um, are very evident because it shows you the words as, as it comes up. It has trouble with titles because titles can mean and be many things in many different languages. And there's plenty of room for, you know, as I say, homonyms sound alike. But if you're looking for an actor, it's amazing, or a music artist, it's amazing how often it gets right on the first try. Yeah, and some titles use such common words, and they're relatively short that the context isn't there. And I'll give you a specific example. Jonas had a friend sleep over last weekend, and the movie that they decided to watch, and they, 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 truly, they have excellent taste, was John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, man. Um, what a great movie. Oh, I haven't seen it in forever. I'd, I watched, I watched it last for, year, and it's it's still terrifying. I'd more or less completely forgotten it. Um, but show me the thing did, did, didn't work, <laughs> and I don't blame. It's like searching I don't blame for TK Siri. or Foo, <laughs> right? And they the, both kids really love the Siri. Well, they don't love the remote, but they love the idea that you can just push the button and say things. You know, like show me. You know terminator 2 and and that it shows it to you um and they were you know going through making like a list of like here's here's like five or six movies we're thinking about and but show me the thing didn't work and i just remember noting you know file that one away that's a good good example where i you know totally understand why it didn't work but that one's that one's an especially thorny one but if you don't mind getting a little bit bash with it you can sometimes hint it a little bit by saying um find Find the TV show Doctor Who, right? Or say you I would play play the band show, Band of Horses or whatever. Show me the movie, the thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that would probably work. I forget what we and, and in fact, I think that's what we did to to you know get it going. That's amazing, though. Also, I mean, one one of our favorite things is, I mean, I, I have I still have bitches about the Apple TV that are out of the scope of this show, but you know. As somebody who buys a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff on the iTunes store, one of my biggest frustrations is the bigger a fan you are of a TV show, the more likely you are to find it inscrutable. So like in the case of, yeah, again, Doctor Who, or in the case of Shark Tank, which yes, I bought several seasons of, um, you when you bring up that page, you say, find, um, find Doctor Who. And it says, this Doctor Who? And you say, yes, this Doctor Who. And it pulls it up. And now you got to go through in chronological order. Like starting from the earliest season that you've bought, have you have you dealt with this? You got to do that horizontal scroll. Yes. Yeah. So like our latest trick is find the latest episode of Shark Tank. Boop pops right up. 
That's that's a great thing where like, you know, you may not think of Siri as being or voice control as being the fastest way to get to something. I can damn near promise you that is the fastest way to get the latest episode of a TV show. But it seems there there's definitely some frustrations there though, where if if you do the up, down, left, right, it seems like it should it should recognize, hey, you've seen a lot of these shows. You probably want to watch the new one as opposed to starting you at episode or season one, episode one. Even HBO, which has one of the crummiest apps on Apple TV, prettiest bad apps, even they have a two-level hierarchy for it. Do you want season two, season three, season four, where you can at least jump. You're still going in in straight chronological, but you can jump to a a season. But, but, you know, it's, you know, I think for a lot of us, it is still a case of remembering to use this. And, you know, I guess it helps to bracket, it's your show, but I mean, we have to bracket some of this stuff. We can't talk about every concern (laughs) about, you know, privacy, although that's certainly an issue. We can't talk about every issue related to commerce. I think there's still the barrier of getting people to remember that this is there and then learning enough to know what it's capable of. And I think outside of our bubble, that's a much smaller group than a lot of people are aware of. Especially for people in the bubble. I don't, like, how often do you see people using Siri, like, on the street? Like, not a ton in my case. No. No. And I think within the bubble, I think you made a good point a couple minutes ago, where I think an awful lot of people tried it circa 2011, 2012, and got the shits of it and just sort of filed it away as something that's not worth trying. It was a frustrating experiment because it was hard to know which part of it was not working. And even as a non-engineer, I can guess that there are several parts that might not work. It might be that there was a physical occlusion where it did not get to the microphone. Maybe I had my finger there, right? If it did get to the microphone, um, did it capture what I said? If it captured what I said, was it able to throw it up to the cloud? If it threw it up to the cloud, was it able to understand what I said? If it understood what I said, was it able, you know, if you follow, like, I feel like there's probably at least three or four little uh, milestones between coming out of my mouth and doing a thing where it could go wrong. And any problems with connectivity would greatly exacerbate even how well the product worked at best. Yeah, I've had the same experience with Apple Maps where it's like I, I I was on a podcast with Josh Topolsky a couple of months ago and he couldn't believe that I use Apple Maps. And I was like, well, when's the last time you tried it? And he was like, I don't know, never because it's terrible. And I'm like, it's so much better than it was. It really it it it's actually pretty good. And I know that I, I say that and I heard from people around the world and there was somebody, you know, somewhere in the middle of Sweden who was like, well, here's what Apple Maps thinks my neighborhood looks like. And it's like blank you know, with a, with a lake. And so, yeah, obviously, right. You know, uh, but here in, you know, the places I go, you know, here in Philadelphia, uh, New York city, uh, California, the places I've, I tend to go. Apple maps is actually very good. And it does things like just last week, Amy and I had to go to some store out way outside the city. Uh, and, the path that we were originally on had traffic and middle of the directions Siri said, uh, you know, I forget the prompt, but something like, you know, traffic ahead, you can save 10 minutes if you change, you know, and we're like, okay, sure. Tell us what, you know, what to See, do. I, I use, I use Apple maps all the time. I didn't know that we, whenever we're traveling, use ways, ways is something I would never use anywhere that it's just too, it's too crufty to use anywhere that I know where I'm going. But when we're traveling, it'll frequently say, hey, you know, pop off at this exit, drive down this dirt road for two exits on a dirt road, and you'll actually get there faster than if you stayed on the interstate. But I didn't know Apple Maps did that. That's new to me. Yeah. But I, I I just think that there's a general problem where if you start, like mm-hmm. the way that I, I've written many times and the, the, the 
how Apple Rolls piece that I have at Macworld from a few years ago. It's still probably the best thing I've ever written about the company. That the way Apple makes things is they make a thing, and at first it's here's it is it's a big surprise, and then year after year after year they just keep making it a little better, a little better, a little better, a little better. You know, in these increments, and it, that's the that's Apple. And that's the way you make things better and better and better. And it's not about these massive, you know, explosive surprise announcements every single time. Um, but I think the problem is if if you launch with something that's so disappointing that it makes people not even check out the iterative improvements, it's a problem. Like there's a certain minimum quality you have to meet. And I know that there were business development reasons why they launched Maps when they did, you know, that they they were sort of in a negotiating battle with Google. And it wasn't really so much a choice as to, okay, this is good enough. It was like, we've got to launch no matter what right now because, you know, we, we've either got to launch or renew this deal with Google that we don't want to renew. Well, think about um, in the age, well, in really in any age since Yahoo. But definitely, whether it's AltaVista or Jeeves or Google or Bing or whatever, uh, don't say porn. But what's the first thing everybody looks for when they go and search? You search on your name. Right. So if you search for your name, I mean, let's be and honest. Porn. Let's put, I, I, and porn. Yeah. And John Gruber porn. <laughs> 17 million returns. Just, I, just to make sure nothing comes up. <laughs> I don't want to know. Uh, but if you went, so like, you know, especially back in the day when there, you know, there there was still the potential of somebody unseating Google as the king of that. And I guess, you know, a lot of people like Bing, whatever, but whenever anything new comes along where there might be information about you about, that's the first thing you do. And then you evaluate you, you within the period of like what, 90 seconds, you might make a overarching decision about the quality of that based on how that comports with your own idea of what should be there in what order, Right. So, you know, if it doesn't find any, anybody with your name at all, you might go, wow, that's, that, this is garbage. And I think the same is true with Siri, where, like, even when you would try the, um, the stock searches on it, and it was, you know, sometimes it would just have trouble and you didn't know why. It would just say whatever Siri is unavailable right now. You know, whereas, I mean, again, you open up something like Hound and the completely banana stuff you can do with Hound, it's, it's so fast and so good at parsing really complex stuff. But you know what? Guess what? Hound, Hound does not have a little button on the device. Today. Right. So it's, it's going to lose at that in the same way that any other device. So, you know, does, is Siri just recognition? Well, Siri is also the fact that there's a button that connects with your contacts that can do functional things. Nothing else can do that in the Apple ecosystem right now. And even more now, it's it's not just the button, it's the always listening microphone for Yo Dingus. And that's where, that's where I am feeling what people felt with Siri. I have a terrible time. You know, we talked about this somewhere. Oh, it's on Twitter. Um, I'm, my, my slugging percentage on Yo Dingus, even when it's plugged in, not great. My hmm. slugging percentage for Yo Dingus on my Apple Watch is not stellar. I mean, it's it's pretty bad and other people seem to have zero problem with it and i don't know why i don't know either i i've i i'd forgot i honestly forgot that apple watch had yo dingus i because it was so bad at first and then when we had that discussion on twitter recently i thought let me start trying it again and it seems better uh than it was when i gave up on it um <laughs> But I'm the worst at demos because every time I want to show something amazing, a Quicksilver style thing I want to demo for somebody, the thing that I want to show that's amazing never works. And when I want to, conversely, when I want to demonstrate how something never works, it always works. 
Yeah. So in, in bitching about this the other day on Back to Work, I invoked Yodingus, and my, I looked down and my Apple Watch was recording everything that I was saying. <laughs> uh. So machine learning and AI, doesn't it feel a bit like the Google I.O. announcements have slightly attenuated and slightly pivoted the way we talk about this stuff? Like, I, I did not hear so many people talking about AI and machine learning two months ago as much as I do now. It feels like they have already had a, I feel like, anyway, they've had a role in directing this discussion, even though there's a bunch of unreleased stuff to which that refers. Uh, I think so. I, I definitely I mean, think I, so. I, I could be wrong. I just feel like usually people would say specifically, oh, I love my Echo. You know, <clears throat> there's things I like about Siri, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, now now that Google's in the game, I, I think people might be taking it a little more seriously. Uh, I think so, too. And I think that it's it, it's just so couldn't be more in their wheelhouse. And, mm -hmm. you know, that gets uh, somewhat gets into Marco's argument that it just does it. it there's from a certain viewpoint, it looks like how could Apple ever catch up to Google in this regard in the same way that it doesn't, I don't think it, I think you could make the same argument that like in terms of like frame rate of animation and smoothness of the UI, Android's never going to catch up to iOS. Right. Um, but that, you know, the question is where do they get to good enough? Like is Android good enough? I think for, you know, some people that obviously it is um, and good enough in the AI sense, maybe maybe the difference is too too far apart i think it's i think it's a bummer that you know marco got piled on in that way because i think what he was saying is very smart i mean if i were gonna in the you know as a monday morning quarterback <clears throat> what i would say right now is the problem with, with apple as as apple exists right now they have a pretty low ceiling where like if things get as great as they can get in the current state they're still not going to be that great because on the one hand, you have Google, who has shown how quickly they can do great things with services and how much they are willing, able, and excited to integrate stuff they know about you, your personal data, to make that into a, an, a you know, say what you will about privacy and your concerns. But <laughs> there are a lot of folks out there like me who use Google products because they feel like the payout is there. Like what I get in return for what they're doing with that data is extremely useful. But then on the other hand, like, you know, right now, for now, rumors aside, Siri is still a closed system. Whereas I get, an, I get an email every Friday from Amazon about new stuff I can do with the Echo, new skills, new stuff. It's not always, you know, earth shattering stuff, but there's always at least a couple new things a week that it does. And I'm, I'm forever discovering new stuff the Echo can do that I, I didn't know. And for now with Apple, until we learn more about what their plan is, you know, if if it, I mean, even if they're if the reliability, the dependability, all that stuff becomes flawless. Even if it works great in a car, even if the mic gets better, you're still going to be kind of stuck at what Siri wants to or can do right now. And that's it's nowhere. I guess we. I feel like a lot of us thought they'd be further along faster by now. Right, just because they launched first, and it doesn't seem like it's. It seems like, and again, I don't want to slag on it because I think on the grand scheme of nerds, I'm actually. Uh, pro siri oh i am but, too absolutely yeah but i think there's a good argument to be made that what siri is good at now is the stuff that it was supposed to be good at originally right like it hasn't really expanded as as far outside the original feature set i mean it definitely has additional 
data sources that it didn't. And just to roll back to the beginning of the show, it it definitely knows a lot more about sports than it used to. Like I said last week, it uh, I think last week or the week before, but it can even do things like, and this is just one of those things that I was like, there's no oh, way. Over, is it over-under? Is that what it was? Yeah, or the point spread. You get point, point spread. spreads or the over-under. You, know, you get these Vegas lines. And it's like, I thought there's no way that's going to work. Because A, it's a little seedy, you know, the, the whole yeah. idea of gambling on sports is a little seedy and it sort of would, works against the Would they the allow Disney. Would they allow an app that does that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. But it's like in the way that like every single cruise ship in the world has a casino except for Disney's cruise ships because right. it's Disney. And, you know, that's not a surprise. But so... You know, I was a little color me pleasantly surprised that Siri can tell you the point spread of upcoming games. Uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, but it was I, the sort of thing that I think people just don't even try anymore. Well, you know, it's always such a joyful feeling as a as an Apple user, as a Mac user in particular. It's been a peculiar joy of power users for years to have this experience that I haven't seen replicated in that many other places. This, for example, is the kind of thing that's not going to happen with the on with the dashboard experience of any car. With Apple, sometimes you'll say, hmm, I wonder what'll happen if I do this. And you do something. <laughs> you didn't look it up. You didn't try, you didn't learn a key command. You didn't read a PDF. You just do a thing and it does exactly what you might have prayed that it would do. You know, you ever have this experience with Apple stuff? Yes. We're just like, what happens if I swipe? Oh my God, this changes everything. And you go like, how did this not, why is this something that, you know, for example, the one I'm always telling people about, option click on the speaker in your menu bar in OS 10. You know this. I think so, but what happens? What do you get? Oh, yeah, yeah. You get the uh, input sources. A lot of people don't know if you option click, because it's not obvious. If you option click on the speaker, you get options to change your input and output devices, which saves me an hour a week, probably. Not a big deal. Um, but you don't get that feeling it, that many places. This is the thing that I love about the Mac, and I've always loved about the Mac, is that, yes, there are... You could say it's not discoverable, but if you were gonna guess how do you do it, you would if you, and and you know the Mac, you know that it would be the option key. Like if I said to you, right. there's a way there's a way to change the speaker menu up in the menu bar to get a different menu, but you have to hold down a combination of keys while you click. What keys? One or more keys do you have to hold? I would instantly guess you just hold the option key because that's, and it actually makes sense semantically with the word option. Right, it wouldn't be command. Uh, it wouldn't be control. It would definitely be. Op it should definitely be option. And in fact, it is option. Have you tried it for other things? No. If you click on option, click. I never thought to do this. You option click on Wi-Fi. You get the ability oh, yeah. to create a diagnostic report. It gives right. you some some nerd information. Do it on do it on a Bluetooth. Again, lots of nerd options under there. Information that gets displayed. It's clever. Nobody needs to know that that exists unless you need right. to know that that exists. But anyway, I, I just meant that in the service of saying like Apple has a great history of putting stuff in there where, hey, you're going to learn if, you, if you're on a Macintosh long enough, you're going to learn there's at least two ways to do almost everything. You don't have to learn one or the other, but, you know, you will eventually learn that there's a way that comports with how you want to roll. And if you don't know, hit command shift, question mark, enter the name of what you think you want, and it will magically appear in the menu bar. So remember yeah, with, with System 7, there was like when you first ran it, there was like a little... I don't know if they made it with HyperCard or not, but it was sort of a HyperCard type thing that would, it was like the first run experience. And there was like a little cartoon guy yeah. who, who uh, would teach you a couple of uh, shortcuts like that. Like, and it was like a, a, 
a help menu that you could, you could bring it up again with. And it was sort of like, show me, show me some of the advanced tricks, like being able to use command up and down arrow to go up and down folders in the hierarchy from the keyboard. That's, uh, I love that kind of stuff. They were so great at that stuff. But, you know, so let me ask you a question. I mean, you remember the announcement of HomeKit, and it was kind of alongside a lot of other this kit, that kit, all this stuff has got to come out. Eventually, the, whatever, the medical stuff and the, um, the um, what's it called, Apple Health. But, like, for example, like, how many, how many things do you have running on HomeKit right now? Nothing. Zero for me too. I swear to God, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to be. No, I, I, to be I, I, I look through the list. I, I finally got an app off the store called Home that gives you an like of easy way to like if you've got this or that device and it's got this in, inscrutable list of all these what appear to be like hundreds. Of, I don't have any of those devices, and I've got like I've got two kinds of security cameras, three kinds of I've got I've got Hue lights. Uh, I mean, there's some stuff you can do, but like you know when they announce something like HomeKit. You're thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm maybe three months away from being able to talk to my house. Like who, you know, and, you're, and, and of course, you know, you get into the reality distortion field. Now I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how soon will it be before there's an Apple device that replaces the airport and the time machine? That like, it's everything you'd want in an airport and a time machine. Plus it's a home hub. Plus it's, you know what I mean? On and on and on. And now we're like twiddling our thumbs going like, okay, what's the next thing I can knock, talk to my phone and do? Like, what's going to happen with that stuff? Is that going anywhere? We don't have that same confidence that all of these pieces are going to fit together. Hell, when you when you put on the ATV four, you flip it on, you can't even like use Siri for music. What a weird oversight! Like that was so <laughs> strange. It's like how do you have all these strands not being sewn together in the system that where all these parts of the ecosystem need really want to be interlocked? And like, how is that not happening? Yeah, I don't know if uh, I I could see it two ways. I could see where on the one hand, maybe it's like, hey, just wait. We just need another year or two. Um, or B, the pessimist take would be that Apple's, we control everything. Everything gets authorized through us. You submit your home kit stuff to us and we say whether it, uh, you know, gets the stamp of approval. Um, like the equivalent of MFI. Yeah. The equivalent of MFI or the app store, even, you know, that sort yeah. of mindset versus, uh, the Amazon's take, which is more or less, look, you know, we've made Echo work with these things and we have some APIs and, and it's, you know, if it works, you just build an Echo app and submit it to us and, you know, we'll throw it out in a newsletter on Friday. Right. You know, because right now you could certainly, you know, you, you know, you can do stuff with the Echo. And I know that the people who are the bigger fans of it have stuff like that. I know Marco's got it hooked up to some light bulbs and stuff like that. And, I do. I, and, I, I use the Echo for my office lights. I've got, so, I mean, this is one of those, like, this was not a terribly complex thing to set up. I have, uh, I mean, so here's a real, real simple example. I have a motion sensor in my office that, you know, basically connects via Wi-Fi. And then I have two, this is Wemo, W-E-M-O is the company. And then I have two Wemo plugs that are just simple zero or one. This light is either on or off. I don't use the switch. I only use the Wemo. Could not do this at home because my daughter does not want to have to use an iPhone to turn lights on and off. That's not going to happen. But in my case, when I walk into my office, the motion sensor turns the lights on. Um, I can also say, yo, dingus, to my Echo, I can say, yo, dingus, turn my office lights off. And I've set up a thing where it knows office lights means these two Wemo lights. Further, I have an IFTTT set up such that when I'm away from my office or move out of the radius of my office or 30 minutes pass without movement, it turns the lights off. So that whole thing, all the setup, every bit of that to set up, 
what, 45 minutes, half hour. And now I don't think about it, but there's not that many more things like that that I have right now. I can't when you, use. When you say, yo, dingus, turn my lights off. How long does it take for the lights to go off? Um, I would say less than two seconds. Can we test does it? it? No, you don't have to test it. I, I, does it feel as though as as responsive as if you <laughs> like had like an intern and part of <laughs> part of the intern's job was to be ready to turn the lights off at a moment's notice? Like no, not necessarily it, it, not necessarily <laughs> standing around with the with their hand on the switch, perm. You know, like 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 trigger finger not like that but just like hey you just hang out in the office and have a you know have a button nearby and if you you know if i tell you to turn the lights off turn the lights off like is it about that responsive Two seconds first of all it, 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 it 100 understands me i mean it's right. very honestly 100 that's silly it, it i could count on one hand the number of times it did not understand something i spoke clearly the echo just gets that i would say imagine you're Eight feet away from the garbage can, you got two paper towels to throw away. It's about that amount of time. Mm. <laughs> Let me test it. Hang on, just cut this out. Be ready to cut this marker of this. Alexa, turn my office lights on. On. Okay. They're on. Ready? <laughs> Part two. Alexa, turn my office lights off. Off. Okay. So there you go. What is that? About second, two seconds? Uh, yeah, that sounds that, you know, I think that was actually, you know, not quite instantaneous, but I would say satisfyingly close. Well, it's for me, it's well within the range of that's fine. Um, yeah. motion detection turns it on. See, to me, turning on, hmm, turning on is much more important than turning off. Like turning on, if I walk into the office, I know with confidence that when I walk into the office, I can either address the echo to turn it on, or I can just walk in like a gentleman, it'll see my motion and turn it on. So, I mean, that, that's, that's plenty fine for me. I don't need high-performance light depowering. It's underneath the threshold of impatience. I will, right? well, absolutely, and it's also a lot better than a bad day with the Apple TV remote. Right. Like, where there's times it's just where not you... responding, and I don't know why. Or Sorry, I, I didn't mean I didn't mean to change the subject, but <laughs> no. But if you've like, or if you're out there, you're in iMessage and you're dictating a text message, and instead of words showing up, you get the spinner, and it just spins, and you're like, "Do I cancel? Like, is this going to take? Do I just need to wait, and my words are going to show up, or should I cancel and try it again?" All right. And you once you once you're even thinking about that decision, you've already crossed the impatient threshold because even well, like if your, the words your wi-fi, magically... your wi-fi is bad you've posted something to twitter you think it's like 50 percent grayed out meaning it's still posting and you're like what world am i in right now i mean is it posting is it not posting you start to feel a little bit crazy that that kind of feeling yeah i think so i i you know and exactly the your demo you just did live on the show was is exactly to me at the heart of the uh uh, the praise that uh, uh, Alexa, or I guess the Echo, whatever you want to—I don't know what to give credit to—but that the the Amazon's dingus is is getting. Um, well, I can I can just yell at it. I can say like, "How am I doing with Fitbit?" I could say, "Play the latest episode of Fresh Air." Um, there's there's a I mean, and, you know, the one beef some people will have just in passing is, yeah, I mean. There's more to learn because there's more to do. It's not as simple as just saying to Siri, hey, do this obvious thing you've been doing for five years. Like with the Echo, there's, it does enough stuff that you have to do a little bit of command line with it, right? You got to do a little bit of bash to like address yeah. the right thing. 
but it's uh, it's shockingly good at hearing, uh, even kind of kind of far away in the house. Like I'm forever yelling at my phone across the room to set a timer and have. I, I, don't, I don't mean to bitch. I'm just saying that like there's there's benefits to all of these things. And you know, the Echo is the one that got traction, and surprised everybody. Everybody's like, oh, this crazy thing, this crazy feature tube. There's a lady in the tube. Who's going to buy this? Well, people did, and they love it. And I own two now, <laughs> and um, I don't consider it essential, but I consider it in the aggregate more useful than my Apple Watch, and I think it has a brighter future. All right, let's keep going on this. But first, I want to thank our second sponsor of the day, and it's our uh, our good friends at Meh.com. Again. Um, again. Again. You got a two for uh, it. You know, they're the daily deal set. You go there, you get a daily deal. The daily deal today, again, this is too late for you. It's already, not only is the show going to be out, uh, you know, a day later, two days later, um, but just as an example of how good this is, this 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 uh, uh, food saver vacuum sealing system, it is refurbished, but that's, you know, it's still, that's like new. You get it for 22 bucks. They even tell you what it costs at Amazon. It costs 102 bucks at Amazon. So that's, you know, 5X higher, almost, you know crazy it's some of the deals they have it really does make me wonder whether they're they're getting this stuff off the back of the truck like on, on goodfellas <laughs> and it's i do we this stuff is so delightfully weird they um they're such a strange company and they sponsored back to work not too long ago and their special of the day the day we did it was two folding knives like two swish bladey like pocket knives <laughs> like just in case you get a knife fight you want two knives Right. Or you get it if they if you're going into a if you're going into a bar and they you know the bouncer takes your one knife, you've still got a backup knife. Aha. You, know. you didn't check the sock, sucker. <laughs> uh but they've got other stuff too. They I told you that the just their write-ups of the daily deals are worth reading. They've got these videos, but they've also got this these community forums. And it's, you know, you type and it's for me stuff. But on these forums, they're doing interesting stuff like commissioning articles from real writers. So they they commissioned a friend of the show, uh, sometimes guest on the show, Glenn Fleischman, to do a, a, a two-part history of all caps being interpreted as shouting in <laughs> written language. Uh, they've got all all sorts of great stuff like that. Actual content, like you could go to med dot com on a regular basis and never once buy the daily deal, and it just it's just a site where you go to read cool stuff. Uh, so Glenn Fleischman's articles on uh, all caps is it's almost like clickbait for me because I love you know that type of analysis of of how you read in your head and it goes back to like the 1800s it's crazy he's done all this research so go to med.com check out their forums and uh, check out their daily deals good sponsor who do you think who do you think the uh who do you think the third sponsor is going to be <clears throat> you guys know fracture <laughs> I'm not going to uh, guess. I'm not going to guess. I don't want to spoil it. All right. Um, do you think it's a problem? So you hinted at this. And in some ways, this this voice assistant space is almost the, it's almost the, the conceptual opposite of iOS. Insofar as most of iOS, and certainly iOS starting in 2007 and 2008 in the early years was entirely visual and that anything you could do was represented on screen by some sort of physical visual object. And to me, it's actually an overlooked 
aspect of the genius of iOS's design uh, that they they didn't go with some sort of like, what's our, our fabulous new phone user interface going to be like? And they didn't try to do something that makes regular people say, wow, this is so conceptually clever. Instead, they did like the most obvious thing possible, which was like, hey, just like the old Palm Pilots or, you know, here's a bunch of apps, tap on the app and it launches the app. And when the app is launched, it takes over the screen. And here's one button on the front face that you go back to the home screen. So here's a bunch of apps, tap one to go in the app. And when you're in an app, tap this button and you go back to the home screen. And once you're in an app, anything you can do in the app is something you can see on the rectangle of pixels that are lit up. And since then, they've added some shortcuts that you kind of have to know about, like when you slide in from the side or slide down from the top to get the notification center or up from the bottom to get the control center. Um, but those are things that if you don't know about, you, there's still a way to do it visually. Right, mm -hmm. everything you can do. If you're a, a more simple user of iOS and you don't even know about Control Center, anything you can do there, you can just go to the home screen, go to settings, and just read that list, and you'll find it. On settings uh, now, setting, but also to your point though, settings has gotten so long and so complex. I wonder how many people have realized that there's now a search field inside of settings. I don't know how many people, but they should. It's very it's, useful. It's staggering how much stuff is in settings, and rather than having to go drill down. It's now, there's so much stuff in there that it's actually way faster to do a search. Right. Um, but it's almost like the difference between a, a, you know, a visual video game like uh, you know, uh, uh, Super Mario Brothers, where you could see where Mario can go because you're watching Mario move around the screen versus the old school text games like Zork or whatever, where you just right. have to start typing stuff and guess. Like... It's easier to explore, I think, for most people visually than it is to explore verbally. And it's so much easier to see what an iPhone can do because eff effectively, for the most part, it's you go to the home screen and look at the apps and here's what your iPhone can do. It's these apps. And you know the ones that come from Apple are fairly obvious and any other ones are ones that you, you chose to install. So you should you know have a basic idea of what what they do whereas siri it's like what what are the what's the total list of things you can do with siri like i have never found a comprehensive list that wasn't somebody's guess on a blog post i, I have never seen <clears throat> a full list of everything siri can do the closest thing i've seen is like i say some blog posts people have done and basically that marketing page where you can scroll really far down and see lots of suggestions but it's surprisingly underdocumented. So you're up, but then you're right. How do you learn? I mean, think about how many people you have to say, like, hey, if you want to play with Siri, go to Siri and then go hit that little question mark. And they're like, what question mark? I'm like, oh man, hit that question mark because that is in the lower left, I believe. And that's going to tell you so much stuff you had no idea you could say to Siri. It's not learnable. Like you're saying, it isn't like you can just look at the pretty glass screen and understand what you're supposed to do. You either need to get educated or you need to explore, you need to try. And that's not intuitively obvious so the to me the 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 uh, not the canonical example i'm trying to see the epitome of where this is going the 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 ideal of where these voice-driven assistants are going is exemplified by hal 9000 in 2001 where 
you watch these characters interact with Hal, and you you never it would be it would be shocking if they said something to him and Hal was like, "I'm sorry, I didn't understand the question." You know, it's like you just know that Hal's going to get it, and if they said something, right. did you to mean him, did you mean white the color or white the race? Well, what a weird question, Hal. Of course, you would know that. Right. Like Hal just knows it. Not only that, but Hal also, as as I was boning up last night and reading stuff you were suggesting, if you notice, Hal ends up sounding like the calmest and most human person in the movie in some way. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, that so was I, Pauline. I never thought of it that way, but it's true. That was Pauline Kael's criticism. One of her criticisms of the film. It's only got that, one character. <laughs> well, that the most interesting character is the computer. And it's like, well, so what? Isn't that actually kind of fascinating that, that somebody can make a movie where the most interesting character is, is the computer like how is that how is that a failure uh but if the characters in that movie had said how can dim the lights you know that the lights would dim there's a hundred percent chance you and you know that how could do that like anything on that ship you know that how could do uh you know and everything that they it's the the ideal is obviously something that's so aware that it can control everything like it's and we're obviously not there yet, but right. you know we're getting there. You're already you're already turning your lights out with it. But it's like you know you know you probably can't turn your microwave on with Alexa. You got me thinking though. You're you're bringing up a really good point. When we talk about um, what they came out of the box with in 2007, and like, well, what was it that was in retrospect? As we look back, what are the things that we really remember as as seeming revolutionary? I think I I feel like for myself the most amazing what trick Steve and team pulled off was calling this thing a phone. So the, the first amazing part is that they were to put out this, they would have put out this thing that, uh, I mean, yeah, it's a phone, but I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of other things I would want to call it before I called it a phone. It is to use his third, uh, the third piece. It's an internet communicator. That's what made the thing really great, but who's going to go out and buy internet communicator. I think that for myself, that's one amazing part is that like they put a computer in your pocket and it did actually work. The other amazing thing in retrospect, and maybe one of the things that is the most revolutionary and influential was that it's just a big piece of glass on front, right? There's no, there's no, there's one dedicated button that does stuff, but, and there's only limited things the apps can do too, right? We got to remember these are the days when you're running one app at a time, uh, what you could do with sound was very limited. What you could do with having, you know, you're only, you couldn't copy and paste. It's one app at a time, et cetera, et cetera. But what did that do? That worked to the advantage of both the strengths and weaknesses of the phone. It could only do so much. But what you could do was very easy to understand because it was in this paradigm that you're familiar with. If you've ever used a Windows, like a GUI system, this is not going to seem crazy. It's just that there's no mouse. Your finger is the mouse. So, right. but the thing is, so, but, so now where are we? Where are we now? Like you say, well, now you can get to stuff by pulling down. You can get the stuff by pulling up. If you're on a recent phone, like if you're on a sixth generation phone, pressing hard on the, I wonder how many people know this, pressing hard on the left side of the screen, there'll be a little bloop and you can go to the previous app. Right. You could be one of the six people who's using um, the 3D touch. But so, and then on top of that, let's think about the haptics and taptics on the phone and on the watch. There are now so many more ways to communicate. And communication is not just talking. Communication is also listening and hearing. So our ability, I mean, for example, something, I, I don't know how many people use this on iOS, but you can go into accessibility and flip on the LED. The LED will blink when you get a, an alert. 
So I have that turned on. So if I'm not paying attention, I can see across the room that there's like a flash. So there's all these ways that you can talk to the phone, the phone can talk to you. But we're still, I mean, but we still haven't really rethought the whole paradigm of how we interact with the phone. We're finding new ways to expand what this thing can do, make it faster, touch ID, think about touch ID, right? But I mean, there hasn't been, there hasn't been a need to completely rethink the phone because these are all improvements on the product we had in 2007. But now, if we, like, I, I don't, I'm not sure if this is where you're going, but I mean, I want to know where you're going. I mean, wow. I mean, now that you can do voice, like, how does that change the way you think about this little glass internet communicator? You know, is it well suited to doing these kinds of things? And what would need to change about the basic technology and the policies of the company to make this into something more than just another another way to interact with the phone? I don't know. I I still want to know, like, uh, like where where do we draw the line between having every single device that we get from Apple understand Yo Dingus? Right, right now I've got my watch doing it. I've got my phone doing it. My iPad does it. Uh, my Mac doesn't, but there's three devices that do. And now there's Apple, a rumor Apple TV. that also the Apple and TV. Apple TV. Right. <laughs> and, and now they're supposedly building a new device that does it. Well, then when I, when I address Siri with Yo Dingus, what, how many things turn on at once? I Absolutely. mean, and right now yeah. it's not very smart at all. Like if my iPad is within same earshot as the phone, they both come on. Well, I mean, like, to me. think, think about to me iMessages. Yesterday. Think about iMessages. Like, you know, they seem to have gotten better at that, but, you know, you don't want every single device in the world going off. If it has a way to determine where you quote-unquote are right now, that's where you'd prefer to hear about it. I still miss things because it went to the watch and I didn't realize it. So it, it's trying to be smart with that. But to have a sense of place about what you're doing and, like I said in this these notes here, like context awareness, like when it's most appropriate to do a certain kind of thing. Because, you know, do we have to choose one tool? Don't, aren't we allowed to have, sp like, spoons and knives in our house? It's like you, you might want all of these things, but you do need a little help from the devices to be contextually intelligent about what you need to know when, when stuff is likely to be useful and where it is extremely cumbersome and inappropriate. Do you remember, like, uh, this is way back. This is, like, going back to, like, 1998, 1999. And on the great, one of the best websites at that time was Macintosh. It's still around, um, but I, I don't think it's Is that Rick popular. Ford? Yeah, Rick Ford. That was a great And I, re I remember that there was a, a recurring... Um, like the way that he would do it is somebody would send something in, it would become a story. And then a couple more people would email and then he would add to the page with more people's comments, but it wasn't open. It was curated by Rick Ford and you'd end up with this great discussion. I remember one of the big controversies was when some Mac apps started phoning home on the network, which more or less just to check for a new version, like they would like maybe like once a week, uh, some, you know, little indie app would, would, connect to its, you know, parentcompanies.com and just say, Hey, I'm version 3.7. Is there a new version? And then if there is like, if 3.8 is out, it could let you know that there's a new version and people were, you know, using certain you know, like utilities that would notify them like people, super hyper privacy minded people who use utilities like, uh, like on Mac OS 10, it would be like little snitch. I think right. there were things like well, that. This is, this was a concern though. If you were stealing your copy of cork, which I heard some people used to do because it would be able to run out across the network and see which other serial numbers, like th things along yeah. those lines where you would, you yeah. would actually be able to get another layer of shareware running that would prevent those things from talking to each other. 
Yeah, what it would do. Yeah, the the one of the the anti piracy or anti you know using a license on too many machines mechanisms. I know Quark did it. I think Adobe might. Have I, I know for sure too, Quark did it. Yeah, where they would look across the local network. I mean, maybe it was the whole internet. Was it the whole internet? I don't I think know. It was that. the. I think for our case, it was our, our Apple Talk network. Yeah, and it was enough to it was enough to make it important. But it would look across the local talk network, and if it saw the same serial number was already running, it would refuse to run on the second machine. Um, and people, you know, were very upset about it because it was like, what right does this app have to do anything on the network without me? And and I remember nodding my head, and I wasn't like thinking like, yeah, you know outrage i was just thinking yeah this is a little creepy i wonder where this is going and (laughs) to think about like how much like how antiquated that is like privacy wise that i'm thinking i was what made me think about this was that i'm thinking i wouldn't mind if my imac always had the camera on to look to see if i'm sitting in front of it so that it would as soon as i get it from my chair would know to send the iMessage that i'm the conversation i'm having with merlin right to my phone Right. Like, how does my iMac know if I'm sitting in front of it? Like right now, it doesn't really. It just like kind of keeps track of, I guess, like mouse action or keyboard action or something like that. And that seems, but I, seems I, either either totally innocuous or really scary, depending on what you think of as being watched. Because what about motion sensors in your home? Does that creep you out? Well, no, it just, I, you know what I mean? Like, it depends on what you want it to do, but there's a zero or one feeling there because if there's a camera, we assume that it's always recording us and sending it somewhere to do something. It's not simply a sensor, right? right. We assume immediately that it's going to be taking our stuff and throwing it up on the internet somewhere. Um, <laughs> it just, we've just come so far in terms of where we draw oh, it's, the line it's, on balance. It's ludicrous, but I was, I was trying to actually, I was telling my daughter, I was giving my daughter a bath last night and boring her to tears, telling her about how I was going to talk to you about today. And I was asking her about what she thought about the distinction between um, listening and hearing. And and she mm-hmm. she was saying, she thinks we were disagreeing a little bit on the distinction, but I think to appreciate what we're talking about with this stuff, you must see a distinction or should see a distinction between listening and hearing. So if you don't believe the companies that say they're not actually sending all your stuff to the NSA, we'll definitely don't have these devices. If you're considering that, though, I think it's worth considering the difference between listening and hearing. It's one thing to listen, right? So listening means that it's basically listening for the trigger words. But then after the trigger words is when it's really hearing. And I feel like that's that's a young distinction that we need to start thinking about for all kinds of reasons, including privacy, right? Do, do, do you follow what I'm saying, though? No, I do. Like in your case, you want you want a camera that's that is monitoring even if it's not recording that there's there's we should start to see some kind of a distinction certainly again i feel like i always have to say this yes i don't want people spying on us but like what are we willing to throw out for that notional privacy that we may or may not have anyway in this instance i just i think that a lot of people shut that door really fast without looking too much further beyond what they imagine is the worst case scenario (laughs) would you be okay with your with your mac Using the camera to see if you're if you're in front of it. God no, no. Even oh, if they, you should you, see me. You should see what I look like right now. Oh. It's no, the sort of I thing, don't know. And I, I feel like you could, you know, outsiders could independently verify by looking at network traffic that the video isn't being sent anywhere. No, no. I see what you're saying, but like for example, like we've got a couple of different cameras at the house. Um, <clears throat> we've got a a Nest Cam that watches the door. Um, and we've got a canary, and the canary uh, is a camera with a super. Do you, do you, are you familiar with canary? No. 
Canary is pretty cool. It's canary.is. Um, <clears throat> so it's a device that's, you know, it's not too different looking from an Amazon Echo, a little shorter, a little fatter. You basically plug that in and it has a very wide fisheye lens that will cover not 180 degrees, but a pretty wide spectrum. And, uh, but the nice thing about it is it has a, a very sane mode, series of modes. So there's armed, which means that nobody is in the house and, you know, go ahead and record, you know, whatever, whatever you're seeing with the camera. If it notices that you're at home, you can set it so that it either keeps running and doesn't, isn't sending you notices, or you can say, shut it off. So in my case, if the iPhone detects that anybody is at home, you know, the, the people who should be there, it just shuts it off altogether. So like, you know, I mean, is that perfect? No, but like that works pretty well. So if we're out of town and we see something moving around that's not a, a cat or a house cleaner, you can have that thing, you know, shoot off a siren. You can hit the police number from it, whatever. I mainly want to just be able to see what's, you know, nothing's on fire. You know that feeling? And, uh, <laughs> I will I, I will put I will put the the link in the show notes. I've already written it down. It looks like a great product. It does. It, it, um I know exactly what you mean. I get paranoid when we're away from home that yeah, that you know, how do I know that the house isn't hasn't burned down? How do like, I know that who who would know to contact me, you know? How do I but, know that squatters haven't broken in and just sort of set up set up home? I know somebody I didn't know. draw a penis on your garage door. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, can, trust me, I know from firsthand experience, you've got to scrub <laughs> that as soon as possible before the ink dries. Uh, um, sorry, I took you off your topic. I think. Well, no, no, no. But the rumor about this upcoming Apple thing is that, uh, I'll put a link to the show notes on that, but did you see this? That after the initial report came out, there's a report that the thing that Apple's doing does include a camera, probably similar to the Canary, like a wide-angle fisheye camera, and that it will attempt to recognize the people talking to it. Yeah. And I again, I, 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 don't, I don't want to be glib about it, and I know I'm a Kubrick you know, fanatic, but I, I, you know, it's the concept of HAL. You know, and one of the things that makes 2001 such a great movie is the the scientific rigor. You know, it really was an honest attempt, and obviously, it was very optimistic about right, right. <laughs> about all of it. You know, there's there is no Hilton or orbiting the Earth. Uh, Pan Am doesn't have flights to the moon. Uh, we don't have a rocket ship that could take astronauts to Jupiter, and the more we don't cute, have cute stewardesses in Velcro shoes. No, and we don't have uh, AI uh, at the level of HAL. Um, so it was optimistic year-wise, but, uh, you know, it attempted to be, you know, as rigorous as they could, and it, including talking to top artificial intelligence, you know, experts of the era as to, you know, what do you think would be possible? How could this work? Uh and it's you know conceptually that's where we're heading right we would have wide angle i mean even the even down to using a wide angle lens to get a big field of view into the um into the ai dingus right when they show you Hal's point of view it's like a super fish eye but the idea that the thing you're talking to and and again it's like this mixture of yes i've always wanted to have like Hal 9000 and then the conversely the I don't know if I want, you know, I don't want people, you know, AI systems watching me. You know what I mean? Like it's a mm -hmm. mixture of like dread and uh, desire. 
But I think it's, it's clearly where we're heading. And the idea that it would help, you know, uh, like help create a shared device. Cause like, isn't one of the limits of like the echo right now that it, it's like uh, two people in the same house can't really set it up with what's on my calendar. Oh, true. Yeah, true. You can have multiple echoes and that's actually, it's kind of cool, but yeah, you're right. And I mean, also, you know, there's a, there's a, something that's got to get dealt with at some point soon is, I mean, it's understandable to say, well, you know, right now we just want to get the technology down. So anybody who talks to it correctly can make this work. But I mean, you know, for example, my Echo has access to my calendar. It is my calendar. Anybody who came in and asked it could get my calendar info. It doesn't, I mean, currently there's not a way I know for Echo to be disabled when I personally am not there. There's probably all kinds of creepy stuff you can do, but you know. And you can buy stuff. Like, so like if I came over to your house and you you know, head to the restroom, I could quick order up, uh, I could just say reorder, of- reorder dildos and they'd, they'd be on your door the next day. It's <laughs> <laughs> totally true. I, I basically, you just say to your dingus, you just say like reorder contractor bags and they'll say, okay, <laughs> on this date you ordered that. <laughs> it's like Syracuse's concern about the Amazon buttons that his kids are going <laughs> to... Which my daughter has totally done. Oh, look, it's some more seventh generation detergent. <laughs> Um, see, I don't know. This is, I guess this is the part people always want to talk about. This is the part that you always jump directly to. I think it's unavoidable, but I think it's also complicated, which is when you get into like, you know, what, what should this do just because we can do it? Should we do it? Well, I think this is where stuff is going. So it's, it does not benefit us to keep talking about how this, how we're never going to use this. It benefits us to talk about what we actually are talking about when we talk about this stuff, what we're willing to tolerate. I think in order to have a sane conversation about this, we have to stop acting like it's a Frankenstein monster and try to have like a more reasoned discussion about, you know, what this stuff is, what this stuff does. And and once you get used to a creature comfort, you it's it's like psychologically impossible to go back. And just think about like cars and the way that cars have improved since we were kids. Just creep creature comfort wise, right? Like you, when we were kids, if you wanted to move the seat back or front, you had to sit there and hold a physical lever and then slide it using your muscles. Uh, and now, I mean, our car's 10 years old, but we have a thing where when I, you know, because we have the electronic key fobs, if I unlock the door, the seat automatically starts moving to my preferred location. And if Amy's the one who unlocks the door, the seat moves to her preferred location that's amazing but you really shouldn't be driving right you lost your license i well and i and well and i wear flip-flops everywhere <laughs> you know a topic yes this that, that is so crazy to me but a topic for some reason seems to come up every time we talk uh atms we always yeah. talk about atms but you know what a, what a terrific example 1977 1978 guess what there's this new scary robot at the mall that will give you money. Wait a minute. You're saying anybody can walk up to this machine and have access to my bank account? No, 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 no. You got to have your little card and you got a four-digit code. Okay, just let me understand this. You know, uh, I'm a Rockefeller and I have access to all this money. So basically anybody who has this four-digit code can just clean me out. Cause, and that's really what everybody said into the 80s. Okay, so I'm not trying to say this is a perfect system, but what I'm saying is right. that in the amount of time that ATMs have been around, there's some things most all of us kind of know at this point. I mean, so there's always going to be stuff like skimmers, like, you know, go read Krebs on security, have just ruin your month. But there are things we know. We know, first of all, that there are limitations on the account. 
If they do quote unquote clean you out, they're not going to get more than probably $400 or $500 out of your account. And you know what? If it was, if it was fraudulent, there's a pretty good chance you can go to your bank and they're going to cover most of the cost of that. You know, no, credit my dad, card. My dad, I don't think has an ATM card. I still, still I, I still think that maybe they've sent him one and then he, they, without even asking, and then he just cuts it up. <laughs> um wraps it my in dad, foil burns it my dad my dad at least in you know at least through the, the high school when i lived at home anytime my dad wanted to get cash he would go to the bank and go to the wait in line and go to the teller and and bring the past book right and uh and get cash and he would just get enough cash at the time where he wouldn't have to go back frequently I, I hate accidentally falling into the role of armchair futurist because it's it's such a douchey thing to to be. But like, here's what I'm trying to say: like, you know, I have a pretty good feeling, and this is an overarching thing for me as I try to grow as a person, is to stop making these instant decisions based on emotions about whether something will be terrible and ruin everything, which feels like something a lot of folks do. As soon as it there's this weird black and white thinking thing where as soon as somebody gets the slightest whiff of something they don't like, it's the worst thing ever and it's a literal holocaust. I'm trying to avoid doing that. So when I say this example of something like an ATM, what I'm really trying to say is that like, well, there's an, a certain amount of risk associated with that. There will always be a certain amount of risk. We're still driving cars that can go 100 miles an hour. There's an acceptable <laughs> amount of risk with that. You don't find that risky at all when a bus goes by your kid while you're while you're walking down the street. But like all these things find their level in some way. Not for all time, pendulum swing, hakuna matata. And like, but the thing is, we figured out a way for ATMs to be part of our life in a way that didn't ruin everybody in America. And so I think instead of thinking about this as like some kind of new dioxin that's going to kill the environment, let's think about things like AI, and yes, things like VR, the silly things like that, let's instead ask ourselves like how that could find a place if we stop looking at it as this thing we think we understand today, start looking at the components of this as something we might see in our lives and stop being so wowed by it. Because in all the times you're either cowed or wowed by it, somebody else is running away with the legislation on what actually happens with that stuff. You got to keep your eyes open and be smart, but admit that this is something that is a thing. Right. There's, you know, the self-driving cars thing is a perfect example where I, I think most people are looking forward to it, but because it is scary red letters new and it seemingly involves, you know, robots doing things that we used to do, um, everybody is worried. I, I know I'm worried. Everybody knows that eventually it's going to come. We're going to have self-driving cars and eventually it's just inevitable. There's going to be an accident where somebody gets killed and you can blame the AI. And there's so many millions of people in so many cars and so many things, it's inevitable. And, and, you know, just to put up the hypothetical, like what if the AI locks itself into a situation where it's either it can make a move that harms you, the passenger, or it kills a pedestrian and it doesn't see, you know, there's no other option that the AI sees and the decision has to be made in the next hundredth of a second. What happens? Either way, it's, it's like that ethical, ethical problem with the train track right. and that, that kind of thing. Right. But I mean, ask yourself, you know, I mean, I'm not a statistician, but think about like if we took the net number of miles driven by mature automated vehicles versus the net number of just, let's, let's you know, allow me a straw man here, the net number of miles <laughs> driven by drunks. Like, let's see who has a better kill ratio. Because I got, I got a feeling the automated car might do a little bit better. I bet, you know what, turns out, I bet it might even do a little bit better than all those people who are really good drivers 
especially when more and more automated cars can talk to each other and don't right. need the meat bag behind the pedal to keep it from flying off the road. Right. I completely agree. I think it's inevitable that self-driving cars are going to happen relatively soon and that they will have wonderful safety records and that the sooner we can get all or nearly all cars self-driven, that the 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 difference in the number of people getting maimed, seriously injured and killed we'll look back at it as when we used to let people smoke on airplanes, you know, like, Oh my God, what the, what the hell were we thinking? We let people drive a hundred miles an hour while they were text messaging. There was no, you know, and people did it. Oh, I just, we got totally the cut prob- off by a truck the other day, like just completely cut off by a semi. 10 minutes later, we see a woman, you know, cruising down 80 with her kid in the car seat, like texting. And, it's, nice. and then you just you don't have to see too many of those to go like really do you think it's going to be that much worse to have an automated car that understands the heuristics of the world? I I totally don't. But the problem is that as a society we collectively are very bad at accepting statistical proof yeah. versus anecdotal proof. I right? believe you too. And, yeah. And, you know, it's like the 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 Republican senator who whose whose argument against climate change was. I mean, this is a true story. I forget the the guy's name, but he was made his little speech on the Senate floor with a snowball he had just made outside the Capitol at an unseasonable time of year. Right? The the the, the one example is just cursing. He's figured us out. He right. figured out the what's happening with big climate. But for some people, that one example is way more compelling than the statistical evidence of what is actually going on. Right. I think it's an, you know, but I think people will get used to it with the, uh, with the self-driving cars. Well, I, ever t- I forget how much I told about this, but I know yeah. I, I never wrote about it, but I got uh, this amazing demo at the Mercedes uh, self-driving car thing in, in uh, Silicon Valley a couple months ago. Uh, and I went on a ride in an actual self-driving Mercedes S-Class. It was amazing. I mean, it's real. It's it actually was like an entire thing, like starting in somewhere in Mountain View and getting onto a highway and getting off, and the entire thing was had no human intervention whatsoever. Wow, really? Yeah. People who do that all seem to say a similar thing, which is like they're always amazed at how quickly it's it, how quickly it's stops seeming weird. Like it uh, isn't more than sometimes it isn't more than a few minutes of that before you go like, oh, this totally makes sense. So, Mike, one of my questions for them was, do you think right now, you you know, Mercedes-Benz makes cars that go well in excess of any speeding limit posted in the United States? You know, you, mm-hmm. lots, you know, if not, I, I would guess every single car they make goes at least 100 miles an hour. Um, in self-driving mode, is it going to be an option to exceed the posted speed limit? And the answer was almost certainly not that the car, you know, will be programmed so that there is no way that you can exceed the speed limit. Um, And their take is that, no, you couldn't sell a car like that today when people drive, but they think that people will accept that because why do they want to go fast? It's because they're bored and they want to get to where they're going. And if they can sit there and dick around on their phone while they're getting there, who cares if it takes an extra five, you know, who cares if it takes an extra five minutes to get to work because you're driving uh, 55 instead of driving 80, you know, or maybe you're taking a nap. Yeah. And, but this is also, (laughs) this is also getting to, I mean, you know, it's whenever we try to think about change, we try to think about the future. We, we tend, I feel like at least I tend to focus on 
maybe two axes, but usually one axis. Like the thing that I'm familiar with, the thing that I'm obsessed with, the, th- the thing that I think about. But that's the difficulty of thinking about anything more than a year out of the future, uh, into the future is like, how will ideas germinate? You know, how will things suddenly get cheaper and more possible? How does how do things suddenly become less impossible? And it's it's difficult to imagine how those kinds of things are going to work. You know, and we all have our own like biases about you know, you know how we would how we would want it to work and what we would accept in terms of risk. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. Let me take a break and thank our third sponsor. Do you have a guess? Who's your who's your, uh, who's your third sponsor this week, John? Third sponsor this week is the good folks at meh.com. Honestly, fuck these guys for making me think of a third thing to say about them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, God bless them for buying out the entire show. They really did. They bought all three, they paid rack rate for all three spots. And God insane. bless them for that. I do love the sponsors, but I got to tell you, there's not that much to say about them. Their daily deal site. And they've got some really cool videos and they write really clever copy and they've got some forums where there's really cool stuff going on. Um, but other than that, fuck them. Go to med.com and check them out. Fuck them. Anything else you want to say about this AI stuff? I think we covered a lot of it. Anything else? I know you had good notes. You did a lot more research. You did good work. Yeah. Fuck those guys. Um, the, no, but um, let me ask you this. Um, you, you, I think thing, the camera thing. I want to stay on the camera thing for a second. Yeah, go. Because I think I think that I don't think that it's going to. I mean, the rumor is that Apple's working on a product now. I think it's imminent. I mean, you've got this canary thing in your house. I think I think the cameras are the next step. I really do. The people, and it's the really, people who say the people who say, why would I need a device if I've got you know the Apple faithful, God love them, who say, why would I ever want a device for these things if I have my watch and my phone? I can almost promise you as much as I love you all that you haven't actually tried using a device for this stuff because you will use it differently. It's funny. It's ironic to me that the same people who are so in love with their iPhone that they learn to love don't understand that there's a similar pattern with trying a device for a while and seeing how you would use it in a different context. And it's, you do use it. You might use it pretty differently. I could see that becoming a hub for the home in a lot of ways. There's all, there's already an Amazon device that's made by a third party that you can put on your refrigerator and treat that mm. way. But, you know, but, you know, and the, the question I was going to ask you that we'll come back to though is like, you know, well, how are our kids going to use this? That's the thing. Nobody cares I, how we use it. We're, we've aged out of the demo. Nobody cares. I don't want to keep banging the HAL 9000 hammer, but I still think that conceptually it's correct that HAL was everywhere on the ship and was built into the ship. Yeah. And he wasn't, he wasn't like a thing that they talked to on their wrist. I'm not saying that talking to the thing on your wrist isn't a thing, but I'm saying that the better way to go is to have have a ubiquitous presence built in to the ship. Uh, uh, the Star Trek is the same way, right? The the next generation Enterprise computer, uh, <laughs> best name for one of these things ever, <laughs> uh, was the same way though. The computer was just an ever present uh, presence built yeah. into the ship. I, well, yeah, it's, it's totally. And I mean, like, think I'm just think about stuff like water. Water used to be a thing that you went down to the creek and f- you filled a filled a jug or a bucket and you brought it back and that was the water. But now water comes out of little dinguses all throughout your house. Time was air conditioning was a thing you bought down at the Montgomery Ward and you stuck in your window. And now magically 
air conditioning comes out of all these vents throughout your house. You can even have smart vents, as I've seen on Shark Tank, that you can adjust how much air conditioning is going to into, into a room at each time. So our first example of how we would use uh, this HAL, HAL 9000-like device is I talk into my watch to see what the weather is, even though I could probably just as easily go see. But like, think about it more like what happens when the devices that you use, is, I think of it almost like a client-server relationship. What if it gets to where you pick up six or eight or 12 packs of these dinguses that you could magnet or stick to the wall in the shower? They're waterproof. They could go in the car. They can go in the garage. They can go anywhere. What if it becomes just another, in the same way that you would want to extend your Wi-Fi network, you just want to extend the ability to say stuff into the air and have it do things. That gets us away from this idea of having this weird $200 thing you put in your house. Like, I would think more in that direction than thinking of, of talking to your watch and asking for the weather. And eventually, if it gets smart enough and contextual enough, it will learn to, as I, as I said, the thing I'm always looking for is learn to tell me about things I didn't know I needed to know before I realize I need to know it. That's the real mm. brilliance is when the real machine learning starts to see patterns that I didn't. And starts telling me about important things, not just things I know I need to know. Tell me the things that are important that I don't know that I need to know. And that's where ubiquity comes into it and context. Tell me when this is useful. Like, don't be yelling at me and blinking lights all the time. Learn what's important to me and then help me have the life I want to have. Humans are naturally really, really good at pattern, certain pattern recognitions, like identifying a, a familiar face or even yeah. like a face that you've only met once, you know, but you know, you know them. Or it's like paradelia. Is that what it's called? Where you just like, you look at a street curb and you see a face because you're wired to see faces. And yes, you are. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the, the, the rock up in New Hampshire, the, the old man on the mountain, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, we're, we're actually, we're so wired to recognize faces that we see faces where there aren't faces. Um, or Shroud of Turin, right? Um, uh, and voices too. But even as humans, for a, a one, here's a, just a, an obvious example. Uh, once I hit puberty, every time I answered the phone, anybody who was calling for my dad would think that I was my dad and just start talking to him like, like I was him. Because I sounded, I don't think I sound that much like him, to be honest, mm -hmm. but I sound enough like him that over, and, and with the distortion of a, of a, you know, landline phone, it sounded enough. So if a human being could confuse me with my dad, I think that it's reasonable that even a very good uh, Echo-like device might confuse me and my dad. And so I think that, the you know, adding additional sensors, uh, obviously a camera to know who the heck is talking to it right, at the time. right is almost necessary. Like I, maybe I'm just talking myself in a corner and we're just, everybody's going to have these camera like devices in their house within the next 18 I don't think months. You and are. I, I mean, think about the way triangulation works where like you could, I guess if you wanted to, you could put your entire R and D budget into creating the world's greatest single antenna for discovering where something is located. But isn't it fair to say that it's better to have hundreds or thousands of much less costly antennas that talk to each other? that can triangulate and say, well, you're like, there's a pretty good chance that you're here based on the signal strength of these different things. That's, I think that's kind of what we're talking about, right? I mean, right. so in this case, like there are, there are existing technologies that make this easy and useful already. So if this iPhone app detects that I'm in the house, cause a certain set of things to happen. If it's a certain time of day, then that's a factor, right? You think about, I'm here, but my kid's not here. That can cause things to happen. Knowing what the weather is or what the weather is becoming. These are all like very knowable things right now. It's just that you cannot accomplish that easily 
with just something like if this then that. It's a very it's a, it's a great app, but a very service, but a very dull weapon. But what about these multivariate things where if certain kinds of conditions aren't met over a certain period of time, let me know to do these things. But just even something as simple as what we're describing. When my iPhone is in the house, lots of things should be different, right? That's a pretty easy one. Yeah. And it's I know Syracuse covered this recently on ATP about like how he almost feels bad for his kids that they're not gonna they can't get away with like putting their bike up against the car anymore. <laughs> Where you had the camera but, looking out. <laughs> right. But like imagine like I'm not even at home, but uh we've got a rule that there's no video games before dinner. Like or you know, right now Jonas is on a let's just say, uh no video games. And I could say, where's Jonas? And uh, I could be told, Jonas is playing PlayStation 4 in your living room. <laughs> right? Right. I yeah. mean, that is, that is it, it was science fiction when we were, you know, even There's, no, 10 there's years nothing ago. about that that is unknowable. You're talking about right. connecting two pre-existing streams. It's just the connection's not there. The connection could right. be the, there. Right. The, the face recognition is there. The, the, the Wi-Fi is there. The voice-driven stuff is there. I mean, that's a problem that could be solved today. I mean, here's, here's, here's another one um, that's such a brilliant little thing that it, I don't get that many phone calls, so I'm grateful I don't need this that much. But have you gotten the thing yet? I don't know if this is just in nine, but <clears throat> where your phone says you're getting a call from this number, which appears to be this person. So what's that doing? It's going and looking through your old emails and recognizing that this phone number has been mentioned by this person before. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about rocket science. We're talking about like the most basic kinds of inference, like one little step at a time. You know what I mean? Just build up this little case with, with these little bits of information. I completely agree. I could talk about this Any, all day. Anything else you want to talk about on this front? No, I don't think so. You know, it's just, it's just an ongoing obsession of mine where like I, I, I really have noticed myself I don't even mind being a crotchety old man. There's a lot about it that's very comforting. There's a lot of things I can dismiss and not feel bad about it. But I, I am trying to really just keep my mind open about <clears throat> continuing to understand new stuff on its own terms rather than like what I need or expect it to be. So that's I, why these I, topics I, end up really hitting me. I, I feel like that's, <laughs> that is my perspective exactly. I'm absolutely rocketing towards crotchety old man, but I'm like an open-minded crotchety old man. Right? <laughs> that's the best kind it's the best i think it's the best that we get can off my for. lawn whenever it suits you <laughs> i don't i don't know why but it's been on my mind this week I've, i'm obsessed with this that uh and I, ta- I i ended my xoxo talk two years ago by by referencing the song but I, I for some reason i've had it it's like the song that's been popped in my head is kenny rogers the gambler which is sort of like this this jokey upbeat, you know, like, you know, it was just a funny little folksy story about a, a guy. A lot of that, wisdom in that song. A lot of wisdom. And <laughs> except that the, the song ends, and it goes back to the refrain afterwards, but the last actual lyrics before it goes back to the refrain. In his is, final words. Uh, every hand's a winner. Every hand's a winner, and every. <laughs> every hand's a winner and every hand's a loser and the best that you can hope for is Lord to die God, in your sleep, your sleep. <laughs> the, be- <laughs> the best really yeah the best that you can hope for is to die in your sleep <laughs> oh, and it, it's such a macabre i mean the whole thing is so folksy and ridiculous and and then there's that's just tossed out there 
And if you think about it, there is an actual. I don't know what got me. Something you just said about the best, best that we can hope for, or something that reminded me. Every, that every was, hand's a winner. Every hand's a loser. But the best that you can hope for. But in his final words, I found an ace that I could keep. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, John? There, there aren't enough advice songs. There aren't enough songs no, that are just filled with folksy advice. Well, I think that if you read between the lines, at first you want to say, well, that's not the best that you can hope for. There's all sorts of things. No, it's literally, can... it's literally not the best that you can hope for. Not in any well, conceivable way. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> well, <laughs> but if, you're, if, if you accept the premise that we're all going to die, okay, then... And I know, like our friend Peter Thiel, friend of the good friend of the show, Peter Thiel does 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 not accept this premise. He's working on then. That. Then th- th- there's a certain logic to it where you got to die somehow, mm-hmm. and like that. At the end, we're all going to be in the dirt, and so the best that you can hope for is to die in your sleep. Because any other way of dying, yeah. So had a song called "Coward of the County." It's a little <laughs> bit of a cowardly way to jack up your aspirations. Is to hope, Jesus, I hope I'm not awake when this happens. <laughs> uh. Uh, what did you do? You have any thoughts on the whole Peter Thiel Gawker thing? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no. I got yeah, enough I, problems. I got enough problems, John. I tossed it out in in a in a reply, so I think that it's I think that it's uh, it got lost. But I I had a, a little gag. I tweeted. Now, this one went out to everybody. I tweeted that uh, uh, Batman versus Superman two. Bruce Wayne spends a decade and $10 million financing lawsuits to bankrupt the daily planet. (laughs) Pretty good joke. It's pretty good. And then, and then uh, somebody tweeted like, well, Oh, I'm in as long as it's subtitled electric boogaloo. And I tweeted back. No, obviously the subtitle is man of teal. Oh, (laughs) right. I had to get that out there. You you don't even give them all your good ones. (laughs) You just, you just pick and choose. You should write an advice song. Uh, meta meta stuff here at the end of the show meta yeah. stuff stuff that's coming out is uh, i got the live talk show coming up in, yeah. in as we speak i think 13 days so i got to get the tickets out i think fingers crossed that by the time anybody is listening to me tell you this that the show will probably already be sold out good for you congratulations I, hope, man that was, a, that was, to that was launch, great hoping to launch soon <laughs> hopefully it'll be a good show this year too um but if you want to, you could go and look at Daring Fireball and see if there's still tickets available. Um, so that's coming up. It is going to be the same venue. It'll be Tuesday, the day after the keynote at uh, Mezzanine. Um, and here's the more important part. So we're limited. I think I think we're limited to around 500 tickets um, just with the way we set up the, the the venue and the seats and everything like that. And I, it's sold out, you know, every year so far. And I think because last year's show blew up and was so big that it's probably going to be even more in demand this year. High expectations, buddy. High expectations. I wish we could find a bigger venue, um, but it's, it's really kind of tight combined Mm -hmm. with all of the, you know, it it, mezzanine is perfect in so many ways, other than the fact that if we could fit more, we, I would love to fit more, but we can't, it's, it's the, to my knowledge, the best venue we can find. And I'm sorry, but we do plan on having a live video stream again. Uh, last year, I didn't really promote the live video stream because I was so worried that it wasn't going to hold up, but it did hold up. So fingers crossed it'll hold up again. But anybody who wants to follow along live and doesn't get in with a ticket or, you know, if you're not even in San Francisco, then a ticket isn't even an option. Uh, you should be able to watch live. It'll be Tuesday, uh, 
I think doors open at six Pacific. So, and, but the show should start sometime around seven o'clock Pacific, which is 10 Eastern time. And it should be a lot of fun live. That's a great uh, event. I'm looking forward. Yeah. I, I've got your, I've got your ticket reserved already. Boom. Um, That's good. It's good. That, that it's, it's a fun. What a crazy week. Wow. It's super crazy. Um, uh, one other meta thing, and I haven't done this in a while. I was saving it for your show. Yeah. Uh, you being the guest on the show is I, I, I joke sometimes that the, uh, the, this show is America's favorite three-star podcast. Uh, <laughs> but it actually is still rated three stars in iTunes. Uh, it st- started off with very low ratings when, I, when, I, when I split with our <laughs> old friend, Dan Benjamin, and there were some people who were not uh, were upset about it and left left a lot of very very poor reviews. Got some uh, they're called activist reviewers. Yeah, activist reviewers. Um, and and you know that's what the system is there for. That's why I can't d- delete them. I wouldn't delete them even if I could. Fair's fair. You know that's the way the system works. Um, but what I know you can hope just, for is to die in your sleep. <laughs> a lot of other shows often remind their their viewers to to leave a review and and do that. Um, and apparently, and I've been told that this is actually true, that it actually does help in the uh, the iTunes. You know, there's like a manual system where iTunes, the people who work there in the podcast, can manually promote shows. Uh, uh, but like the automated stuff and getting uh, high in those rankings uh, definitely helps to get good reviews and that it can grow the audience. And maybe I shouldn't be so, uh, I don't know, what's the word, coy and I don't want to ask people to leave reviews, um, but I'm I'm asking. I'll say I'll say it for you. Um, it's 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 very difficult to know what doesn't does or doesn't always help when you've got a podcast. There's a lot of black boxes in podcasting. What I'll say is this: if like me, you enjoy John's show, consider going. Leave a nice review. Leave a five star review to offset the activist reviewers. And, oh no uh, no! Leave an honest review. Give no, me don't as do many that. Stars don't, as don't ask for that. Don't ask for that. <laughs> You got to know when to, here's the thing. You got to know when to hold them. Okay. You got to know when to fold them. Number three, you got to know when to walk away. And finally, fourth, you got to know when to run. Oh, there's number five. Don't count your money when you're sitting at the table. Oh, and so finally turns out the best you can hope for is to die in your sleep. I I have always also thought that part, some of the worst advice you'll ever hear is to not count your money while you're gambling. <laughs> <laughs> uh any anybody listening in overcast you could use their little recommendation dingus as well and promote the show but anyway if you like the show do me a favor and and say good things about it and anyway i'll see some of you guys soon uh we should have at least one more show before the live one but uh look forward to seeing you guys who will be there at the at the live show uh my thanks to you merlin man uh for your generous use of your time and, and, and your thoughts. And my thanks to our sponsors today, mad.com, the daily deal site, uh, mad.com, uh, the, the forum where you can go and read cool articles by Glenn Fleischman and others. And last but not least, mad.com. Fuck those guys. You got to accept every free drink. Try not to overthink. Trust your dumb luck. Don't give a fuck. You gotta blow your fortune before you even realize the best that you could hope for is to lay down and die. Good night, everybody. <laughs>